This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipsker from Chabad of Hyde Park. And a great Erev Shabbos to all of you. Wonderful being here, sharing some ideas, spending some time together. It's the summertime and therefore Fridays are longer, more time to think and prepare and make sure that we enter Shabbos with the type of feeling that is necessary, a feeling filled with energy, with excitement, a realization that it's not only a day of rest in the simple sense of the word, it's a day of spiritual rest. Special things happen. There is a greater divine revelation on Shabbos, and this is why the preparation is necessary so that we can sense it properly, we can appreciate it properly. Very often we are given something, and because we haven't prepared properly, we haven't sensitized ourselves, we don't truly understand that which we're given. However, when we do prepare ourselves, we understand, we appreciate, and we experience on an altogether different level. And the preparation is a combination of a number of things. First of all, it's a mindset, but it's also, in a sense, learning to understand, spending some time in study. Study is something which not only gives us information, it opens our mind, it makes our intellect far more powerful within our own consciousness. And when we understand something, when we've learned, when we've put the effort into something, we've studied, we've learned, and we understand, we now see that which we understand in an altogether different type of way. It's whatever we study. Any area of study, once we know something, we appreciate it altogether differently, whether it's music or art or philosophy or Lahavdal Torah. We understand something, we hear it, we see it, we look at it, and it's an altogether different type of experience. And this is why it's important to spend some time on Arab Shabbos preparing for Shabbos, not only by doing all that is necessary, the cooking, the baking, all the other wonderful things that Shabbos is famous for and gives us that special delight of Shabbos. It's also important to study, to spend a few moments looking at the Parsha of the week, the Parsha of the week which guides us, the Parsha of the week which gives us insight, not only on a daily basis, but on a weekly basis, each and every single day day. We start at the beginning and we finally come to Shabbos and the Parsha is complete. We begin to see an entire story. We know the story differently. We understand the story differently and we experience that which we've learned differently as well. Shabbos becomes extraordinary. Shabbos becomes special. It's Parsha's Vayishlach and we continue following the life of Jacob, Yaakov Ovinu, Jacob the Patriarch. Now, it's interesting that all six parshas that we deal with, um, Yaakov, well, five of them at least, they all begin with an active verb, Vayetzi, and he went out, Vayishlach, and he sent Vayeshev, and he sat, Vayechi, and he lived. There's an active verb. Because Yaakov, in a sense, is different than Avraham and Yitzchak, Abraham, and Isaac. All three of them were patriarchs. All three of them had enormous, enormous spiritual ability and gifts. Each and every one of them contributed masses of divine energy into the world, but very, very differently. Yaakov is known as Pchir Sheba Ovas. He is the chosen of the patriarchs, chosen in the sense that although Avraham was extraordinarily great, he was the perfection of chesed. In fact, when he exercised, exercises actions of kindness, chesed, the very essence of chesed, comes to God and said, my job is over. Avraham has taken over my job. Yitzhak is gevura, not haverity in a negative sense, but but a sense of discipline, a sense of correctness, a sense of doing something in the way that it must be done. Each and every one of them contributed 
their own personal divine gifts and energized, gifted the world with an altogether different type of dimension. Yaakov, however, is Pchir Shebavot, not only because he synthesizes both Yaakov, both Avraham and Yitzchak, kindness and severity, but Yaakov adds something altogether differently. His encounter with the physical world, his involvement in the physical world, is of an altogether different type of nature. And this is why his influence is so much greater, and this is why he is Pchir Shebavot, he is the chosen of the patriarchs, because he teaches us something which is vital and important. Yes, we all know that spirituality is something which is great and important. We all know divine energy on a higher level is something which is absolutely necessary and powerful. But very often we have a confused understanding of the physical dimension of life. We think to ourselves that perhaps the physical dimension of life is something which should be shunned. And yes, there are schools of thought, even within Torah dimension, that shuns the physical dimension of the world. We see it as something which is unnecessary and something which in, is in constant conflict with spirituality. They see the physical dimension as, in a sense, the enemy of the spiritual, and therefore one should desist, not be involved as much as possible, and remove oneself from the physical world. Yaakov sees it differently. Yaakov sees the physical world, yes, it can and does have negative dimensions. It does have elements that can be dangerous. It does have elements which can bring us down. But if handled correctly and handled properly, the physical dimensions of the world contain within themselves spiritual dimensions in a sense far higher and greater than the obvious spiritual dimensions. It's when we take the physical, we refine it we uplift it, we change it, we expose the essential dimension of divine good that is within that physical dimension, it is an altogether different type of energy, in a sense, a higher type of energy. For instance, you take a piece of leather, you can make a pair of shoes out of it, you take that same leather, and when it is used properly and prepared properly, it becomes a pair of tefillin, something which enables us to pray and pray properly and to elevate ourselves. Not only ourselves, we take the leather of the tefillin and we elevate it to a higher level. It's no longer a physical object which is in conflict with spirituality. It becomes a physical object which becomes a vessel for spirituality. It itself becomes spiritual, even though it it retains its physical dimensions. And so we find in so many different areas of Jewish life, the four species on Sukkot, we take a lulav and etrog, they become not only symbolic instruments of holiness, they become objects of holiness, and so on and so forth. And this is something which Yaakov teaches us. Yaakov teaches us that it is vital, it is necessary to engage with the physical world, to encounter the physical world, to deal with the physical world, albeit in a correct and proper way, because the physical world ultimately, of course, is a creation of God. And if it's a creation of God, it has an ultimate purpose. And if we can, we have to use it in such a way that we expose and elevate it to recognize the ultimate divine purpose. And yes, there are certain elements within the physical world that the only way we deal with it is by distancing ourselves from it. You know, non-kosher, etc. It's something physical, and we simply don't have the ability to elevate 
the way we deal with certain things is by not dealing with them. But by and large, we have to engage the physical world. We have to be involved in the physical world, deal with it correctly, elevate it in the proper way. And in this sort of way, we come to an understanding, a realization of the wholeness, the completeness of God's world. And this is what Yaakov teaches us. This is what Yaakov gives us. And because of that, every single time we encounter the Parsha with Yaakov, well, almost every single time, it's with a verb, with an action, an involvement in the physical world, doing something which dramatically changes the structure and nature of the simple obvious physical dimension and exposing the spiritual reality which is contained within. And so with the Parsha of Vayishlach, Vayishlach means, and he sent. And as we go through the entire Parsha, we will see how this particular verb, and he sent, what did he send? He sent Malachim. And as Rashi quotes our sages, Malachim, they were actual angels, not merely messengers, although Malachim angels are messengers of God, divine messengers, but the word can also be used in the physical sense, physical messengers. What Rashi tells us, based on the teachings of our sages, it was real divine angels. And this is something that he sends to his brother Asa by Yishlach. And we have to understand what is the nature of this term by Yishlach and he sent, how in fact does the entire Parsha become a continuation of Ayishlach, and how do we understand the stories within the Parsha by understanding the concept of Ayishlach? What does he what does it mean? What did he send? Why did he send it? How did he send it? To whom did he send it? And who it was who sent it? What is this all about in order for us to understand how Yaakov engages the physical world and deals with it in a responsible manner? More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipsker from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about our patriarch Yaakov, Yaakov Avinu. We're talking about how he taught us to engage the world, to engage the physical world, to understand how to deal with it responsibly and correctly. Fully aware of the fact, as mentioned before, the physical world can and often is a very dangerous place, a seductive place, a place that is able to bring you down if not handled correctly. And this is why we need the wisdom, the insight, the example of Yaakov to teach us how to deal with the physical world because the physical world, while it contains tremendous, tremendous spiritual energies, tremendous divine gifts, it's important that we approach us correctly, that our encounter with the physical world is one of great responsibility and therefore one of great success as well. And we spoke about the fact that Yaakov is Pechir Shebaavot. He is the chosen of the patriarchs. He, in a sense, is higher than Abram and Isaac. And even though both of them, as I mentioned before, were extraordinary people, they were men of tremendous, tremendous spiritual greatness. They are the fathers of the Jewish people. They are the ones who brought divine understanding and wisdom and behavior into the world. But nonetheless, we speak about Yaakov III, the grandson of Abraham, the son of Yitzchak. He is the one who is known as Pechir. And we find a marked difference between the way Yaakov goes into the world and has to deal with the challenges that he is going to encounter, as opposed to his father Yitzchak and his grandfather Abraham. Abraham had great 
great challenges. In fact, he is the one who pioneered Mesiris Nefesh. He is the one who pioneered the idea of a selfless devotion to God, a willingness to be, in a sense, self-sacrificial in order to fulfill the will of God, to elevate oneself to such a level that regardless of the threats, regardless of the encounters, regardless of the difficulties, Avram stood up to all of them. And Yitzchak as well. He basically was prepared to offer himself as a korban, as an offering, as a sacrifice on the altar. Nonetheless, we are told that there is a marked difference between the way Yaakov goes into the world and the way Avraham and Yitzchak went into the world. Both Avraham and Yitzchak, when they encounter the world, they encounter it as men of great power, men of great wealth. Avraham goes into the world and we are told that he had tremendous, tremendous levels of physical wealth. He was recognized in the world. He was a pre- he was respected. He was a man that was soft, sought after by kings, by everyone, because everyone saw within Avram the greatest, and similarly with Yitzchak. They, he too was a man of extraordinary wealth, and both of them encounter the world, and both of them have challenges, but they approach those challenges from a position of relative strength. Whereas Yaakov, Yaakov goes into the world as a pauper. He's penniless. When he leaves his father's house, his nephew, Eliphaz, by the instruction of his twin brother, Esau, wants to kill Yaakov. Yaakov says to this nephew, why do you want to kill me? Just take whatever I have. A pauper is considered as if he was a dead man. And Eliphaz takes everything he has. He goes into the world literally penniless. And he comes, where does he come to? He comes to Lovan. He comes to his uncle's home. And over there he is going to offer seven years of hard labor in order to take Rachel, the daughter of Lovan, as his wife, as take her hand in marriage. And, of course, we know the story. Lovin deceives him. He sends Leah, etc., etc. Later on, again, he deceives him. He deceives him in terms of the payment that he has to give for the work that he's done, etc., etc. He goes into the world with absolutely nothing, does Yaakov, and slowly but surely builds a family of great, great renown. He builds an enormous level of personal wealth as well. And it's something that he achieved from ground zero. It's not as if he had it all. It's not as if he came with a little and made a lot, or he came with a lot and made much more. He came with nothing, and he accomplished levels which are quite, quite astonishing, quite, quite unbelievable. And this is the story of Yaakov. Yaakov goes through life. The challenges that he has are constant. Even before birth, he's wrestling with his brother, Esau and Yaakov, within the womb of their mother, Rivka, Rebecca. They are fighting. Each one wants to take a position that will enable the world to follow their particular philosophy. Yaakov is a man, Ishtam. He's a man of learning. He's a man of spirituality. He's a man that is ethical and moral and great, and he wants the world to follow suit, whereas Esau is a man of power. Esau is a man of cunning. Esau is a man who says it's physical brute strength which ultimately controls the world. And from the time before birth, during birth, and throughout his life, Yaakov is constantly, constantly beset by all sorts of great difficulties. Great difficulties, not necessarily 
from beyond, outside his family circle, so to speak, as happened with uh, Avraham, that he had to battle with Nimrod, Navi Melech, and going into Egypt. Similarly with uh, Yitzchak, he had to deal with Avi Melech, etc. It wasn't foreign kings and foreign enemies that threatened Yaakov. It was something within his own family, his twin brother. And later on, as we read in this week's Parsha, the story of his daughter, of, of his daughter Dina going out and being kidnapped, raped by Shechem. It's within his own family that there is constant, constant battle. You know, we don't really know the story of Avraham. Yes, our sages tell us, and the oral tradition teaches us, the Medrash, the Gemara tells us what in fact happened to Avraham, but the Torah is not explicit as to what his great battles were. Similarly with Yitzchak, we know that he battled with Yishmael, but we never find an actual encounter between Yishmael and Yitzchak. It's the wisdom, it's the prophecy, it's the concern of Yitzchak's mother, Sarah, that takes Yishmael and drives him out of the house because she sees Yishmael as a terrible, terrible influence, and she doesn't want this terrible behavior in any way to rub off on Yitzchak. Whereas with Yaakov, Yaakov, we are told in great detail, before he was born, within the womb of his brother, brother, he's already wrestling. There's an encounter which is filled with all sorts of difficulty. The moment of birth and beyond birth, there is always this tension. And Torah tells us these encounters, these battles, in great, great detail. The story of Yaakov is altogether different. The story of Yaakov is almost at every single turn. He has to deal with members of his own family who are trying to destroy him, to deceive him, whether it's Laban or Esau, etc., etc. And the personal grief that he goes through with his own children as well, the story of Joseph, and in this week's parish is mentioned the story of his daughter Dina. This is the story of Yaakov. Why? Why is Yaakov so different than Avraham and Yitzchak? Why is he portrayed as an individual who comes with nothing into a strange and hostile environment, and it's within that environment that he has to prove himself, that he has to build family and wealth? Why couldn't he have the same opportunities that Avraham and Yitzhak had to come from a position of great wealth and do what he has to do in the world? And the obvious answer, of course, is because this is the particular quality. This is the particular character of Yaakov. Yaakov is able to descend to the most difficult of circumstances within the physical world and to deal with them correctly. He is able to live in a world of great deceit. He works for his uncle Lovon, a corrupt, a corrupt, thieving, cunning man. He has to encounter his brother Asaph, as we'll soon discuss. A man of great physical power, a man who has vowed to kill him. Yaakov encounters difficulty upon difficulty upon difficulty in the closest possible way, because Yaakov is the one who is able to deal with the most intense and difficult dimensions of the physical world, far more than Avraham and Yitzchak. Yes, they accomplished extraordinary levels, but Yaakov is able to descend even to a further level. He is the one who is able to meet 
physical world at its most difficult stage, at its most difficult point, and to somehow become victorious. And not only victorious in the sense that he survives, but he thrives and continues, continues to grow as a result of those intense and difficult and painful encounters. And this is why the Jewish people become the image of what Yaakov is all about. He is the example the Jewish people follow. We go throughout history with all sorts of incredibly difficult and painful counters with the physical world around us. And not only do we survive, we thrive. We go from generation to generation. And yes, while we lose great numbers and while we, while we pay an enormous price for this, nonetheless, the miracle of our survival that I always talk about is so obvious. It's there in our face. It's because of Yaakov. Yaakov teaches us that, yes, you can encounter the most difficult of the physical world and still stand on your two feet as a proud and powerful Jew. So what does Yaakov send to his brother? Now, sending something means that you're going to send something from your particular place of safety into another area outside of yourself. That's the word send. Send means you take something from here and you send it there. Now, what's Yaakov all about? Yaakov is an individual who is totally dedicated to somehow fulfill the purpose of God's creation. God created the world. God made an enormous world, an enormous universe. And it's within this universe, the small earth, and within earth, the small man, a human being is able to do things that not only affect all of creation, but can bring perfection to all of creation. Now, what is the most perfect moment in creation? Yes, we've had great, great moments. We've had the story of Abraham, the story of Yitzchak, the story of Exodus leaving Egypt. We have the story of Matan Torah, Revelation at Sinai, great, powerful things. But the ultimate moment of God's ultimate purpose in this world will be with the coming of Mashiach, absolute redemption. This is something which we pray for, all of us in our own way. Three times a day in the Amidah, we speak about the Sechzena Einenu, that our eyes should see this great and glorious moment of redemption. And we speak about it, Semach David. We talk about redemption. Redemption is the ultimate purpose. Redemption will bring with it a world of peace, a world of perfection, the resurrection of the dead. The world will ultimately understand and see the infinite purpose of why God created this universe, why God created this world. All the questions will be answered. All the difficulties will be understood. Every chapter challenge will be seen as a moment of great opportunity that happened to us, tremendous things that happened to us. But we have to work hard in order to achieve that moment. Yaakov felt that he was ready for that moment. And this is why he sends something to Esau. What does he send something? He sends a message, a physical gift, to tell him, yes, he's encountered the physical world, and he has grown in this physical world, and he's achieved much in this physical world. He brought a magnificent and beautiful family into this world. He's attained great wealth in the physical world, and he wants to share that with you, with Asa. But beyond that, more than that, he says, Im Lavangarti, and as Rashi points out, Im Lavangarti, I lived with Lavan, but Tariyag Mitzvah is a play on the words. He transformed the letters of 
Garti into Taryag, I remained loyal to God's commandments. In other words, I encountered the physical world in a most difficult set of circumstances, in a community, in a world, in a family, my own uncle, full of corruption, cunning, and deceit, thievery. And yet, despite all those intense influences, my family and I remain loyal to God, to the commandments of God. We are ready for the ultimate moment of redemption. We are ready for the moment of Mashiach. But he also understands, he also knows, that Esau plays an important role in all of this, because Esau is his twin. And in a sense, not only his twin, his spiritual twin. And in order to achieve what he has to achieve in this world, it's not enough that he, Yaakov, the son of Yitzhak and Rivka, fulfills that purpose. But Esau has to somehow acknowledge that and is willing to achieve that purpose as well. Because after all, Yitzhak loved Esau because Esau was a man of tremendous spiritual potential. And Yitzchok saw that potential. Yitzchok saw within Esau core of tremendous, tremendous spirituality. In a sense, maybe even higher than Yaakov's in a certain way. And therefore, Yaakov realizes that if his personal potential was achieved by going through the intensity of living with Lavan and yet coming out complete and whole and powerful and proud, then Esau, too, has to realize his potential. And therefore, he sends all sorts of things, messages and things to Esau in order to inquire, are you ready for this great moment of redemption? Are you prepared to join me? Are you prepared to become one force, you who have lived in the physical world and achieved tremendous physical power, I who lived in the physical world in a different sort of way? Are you prepared to join with me and to come to this great moment of redemption, the revelation of the ultimate purpose of God's creation. And this is what Yaakov sends to Esau. More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipsker from Chabad of Hyde Park. Yaakov is ready for the full and total redemption. Yaakov is ready to somehow experience the ultimate purpose of God's creation. Yaakov is ready to bring about the fulfillment of why all of this was put into being by God. But he knows that Esau has to partner with him in this great, great experience. Esau, after all, is his twin brother. Esau, after all, is the child of Yitzchak and Rivka, Isaac and Rebekah. Yitzchak is the one that has potential spiritual grace greatness of unbelievable heights. And this is why he knows that the final redemption needs, as I mentioned before, the acceptance, the acknowledgement, the participation of Esau in this process as well. And this is why by Yishlach, Yaakov sends something from his own position. Yaakov is in a situation where he is ready for full and total redemption. He is ready for the ultimate purpose of God's creation. He is ready to do all that is necessary in in order to bring it into a very real presence. 
but by Yishlach. He sends out to Esav. Esav is outside that reality. Esav is at this moment not part of Yaakov's life. And therefore Yaakov has to send him certain things, messages I mentioned before. I lived with uh, Lavan, and yet I remained absolutely loyal to the law of God. I didn't allow the negative influence of that negative society to touch me or my children. He sends gifts as well. What does he send? He sends shore of a chamor. He sends cattle. He sends bulls. He sends donkeys. What is that all about? Why does Torah tell us in such specific detail what it's all about? And our Kabbalistic masters, our Hasidic masters explain that the shore and the chamor are not merely animals that he sent them as a physical gift, but what is shore? The bull represents power, raw energy, strength, power in the fullest sense of the word. One who sees a bull with those shoulders understands what power is all about. He is telling Asaph, I know what power is. I understand what power is. But I have harnessed that energy. I have harnessed that raw natural power into the realm of good. I didn't allow it to become something which is negative and destructive. I didn't allow it something that would break my spirit, cause me to behave in a way which is contrary to the will of God. No, I have taken that energy. I have focused that energy. I have given it purpose and direction so that extraordinary energy entering into the realm of holiness brings together a synthesis of spiritual and physical power, which is unbelievable, and something which serves the will of God. This is the shore. This is the bull that he sends to Esau. Chamar. Our sages tell us that Hamor refers to Mashiach, the donkey, in a sense, because it says Mashiach will come ke'oni as a pauper, rochiv al-Hamor, riding on a donkey. Mashiach will come as an individual riding on a donkey. And this is something which is important to understand. We saw the story of the donkey with Avraham, that he saddled, he harnessed that donkey in order to fulfill the will of God. We speak about Moshe had the donkey, that he came back to lead the Jewish people to exodus, to freedom. Mashiach will be an individual who rides on the donkey. And this is the message that he sends to Esau. He says to Esau, are you ready for Mashiach? Are you ready for that great and glorious moment? And the angels come back and they say, we have met your brother, but he is still Esau. He comes with 400 armed men. He still hasn't refocused his physical power and energy into something which is good and holy. He still sees power and physical energy as the ultimate purpose without having it to be changed into something which can fulfill the will of God. And this is the great realization that Yaakov has. Yes, I might meet my brother, and he might be peaceful for the moment, but the fact remains he is not ready for that great and glorious moment. And a certain truth, a difficult truth, a painful truth, descends upon Yaakov. And what's that truth? The realization that it will still take time, and perhaps a long time, until Mashiach will come. And this is something which tells us what the story of the Jewish people is all about. Why did we go into the most difficult and darkest of places? Historically, why are we led into the most painful situations, in the most disturbing, frightening situations? And as I mentioned before, nonetheless, we not only survive, we thrive. But why? 
And the answer is because all those dark corners of God's creation has to be illuminated with the light of God, with the light of Torah, with the light of mitzvot, with the light of decency and goodness and kindness. And this is the way we prepare the world for the coming of Mashiach. And this is the realization that Yaakov has at this point. Yes, if Esau would have simply said, Yaakov, I am with you. I am with you in every sense of the word. Mashiach would have come. But nonetheless, Yaakov realizes it's not the time yet. And therefore, when he encounters Esau, and Esau invites him, let's travel together, he says to his brother. Yaakov says, no, we still have separate roads to travel. You have to go yours, and I have to go mine. That moment of great reconciliation has not come. Yes, it's a peaceful moment. You've hugged me, you've kissed me, and I've embraced you as well. But you still aren't ready for the fulfillment of the exposure of God's will and purpose in this world. You are still going to retain that negative influence of physical power and physical energy and see that as the ultimate purpose. And this becomes the legacy of Esau. And this is why toward the end of the Parsha, we read about all the alufim, all the great people, the caliphs and the alufs, the generals that came out of Esau, but all of them Take a different road. They aren't ready for the road of spiritual synthesis, unity, and holiness. They aren't ready for the physical and spiritual to merge together and to become something which is extraordinary. They still see the spiritual as a threat to themselves, and this is why throughout history they have always defended the concept of idolatry. They've always attacked the concept of one God. As we take a look at the story of Aesop's descendants throughout the world, they have always been against the concept of monotheism, that God controls the world, God is the only God, the only energy. They have many gods, many ideas, because this is the natural consequence of physical power and physical energy. You don't see a sense of unity. And this is why when Yaakov speaks with Esau, Yaakov speaks about unity and oneness. And what does Esau speak about? Well, he speaks about manyness. He speaks about, well, a great con fusion of so many different things. He doesn't see a spirit of unity. And this is why it's important to listen to this Parsha correctly, because this Parsha teaches us something which is so vital to our understanding of life, to make sure that we go through the journey of the physical world and we deal with it correctly. Yes, the physical world has been created for God, and a huge dimension of the physical world can and should be transformed by each and every one of us through our own actions. We have to encounter the physical world. We have to get involved in the physical world, but we have to do it correctly. And getting involved in the physical world means, in a sense, to use it for one purpose, for a higher purpose. Yes, there are delights and pleasures in the physical world, and we are told that we can partake of so many of them, but the ultimate purpose has to be to reveal the will of God. And this is why when we come across the story of Dina, who goes into the public domain to see what the land is all about, she has taken away. She didn't defend herself as much as she could have and should have spiritually. And therefore, the negative influences are there, unfortunately. Yes, it's not her fault, not her fault at all. But nonetheless, she wasn't ready for that encounter. And when you aren't ready for that encounter, you cannot enter into that 
realm. And this is what Yaakov teaches us in this week's Parsha. Each and every one of us wants to have a perfect world, a world of a total and full and complete relationship between the physical and the spiritual. But certain dimensions of the physical are still resisting the influence of the spiritual. This is where we play a role. We get involved in the physical in a permissible sort of way, in a proper sort of way. We use it, we change it, we elevate it, we use it for a higher purpose. This is what this Parsha is all about. So when you are in shul tomorrow and you hear the story, listen to it and listen to it carefully. Listen to it in a way that tells you something personally. It tells you how to deal with the physical world, how to go into the physical world. Yes, to be aware that there is an ace of out there, someone who is trying to destroy you or at least resist your influence of spirituality. But you have to retain your pride, your strength, your greatness, your power. And what is your power? Your power is divine power, the power of Torah, the power of mitzvot, the power of holiness, the power of goodness, and that is something which is everlasting. This is a Shabbos that we are given insight in how to make the journey of life, how to take the journey of life, how to understand the journey of life, how to use the image and example of Yaakov as the one who teaches us as a guide to go through life. It's a Shabbos of great opportunity. It's a Shabbos that way we can learn so much. Good Shabbos.